Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening. My name is Kisha Edwards Gansey, and I'm the co-founder of World Explorers Group, and I'm so excited to welcome you again to this evening's Tough Talk Tuesday. Joining me is our resident expert and media psychologist, Dr. Corey Emanuel. We're going to be discussing how to talk to children about pain, loss, suffering, the hard things that we have to deal with during our times around the sun on this planet. So, Dr. Corey, I know that you have a lot of information prepared for us already this evening. Um, I look forward to seeing you dig into this topic and then joining you in the end. So, Dr. Corey, um, I'd love to pass it over to you so we can get started. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, World Explorers, for having me um, once again. Talking to your kids about suffering, grief, and hardship. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in. Um, I always like to kind of start with a couple of buckets of what might have even brought you to today's Tough Talk. One, maybe you have a child that's grieving. Uh, two, you're just looking for ways to talk to your kids about sickness, illness, either yours or theirs, and hardship. You know, we're going to get into talking about financial hardship and taxes a little bit later. Um, and then also, because of my field of study, the media's influence on grieving and processing hardships. So if you came to the table today uh, with one or more of these interests, you have certainly come to the right spot. So I always begin with you know, a little bit about what we know about the topic at hand. So for example, with grieving and hardships, uh, adolescent grief in particular is unique in that there's a number of different factors that, that affect uh, adolescent grief, be it biological, psychological, social factors, um, and these are things uh, such as increased risk-taking, uh, the identity formation process, um, as well as limited capacity for emotional regulation. So we're going to get into some of the developmental stages of how uh, grief and things show up throughout the, the lifespan of childhood adolescence here in a little bit. Uh, and then one of the things I thought was really interesting is we think about uh, not even so much coming out of the pandemic because we're still dealing with it, but the fact that there are an estimated uh, 1 million, approximately 1 million children and young people experiencing bereavement because of COVID-19. Um, as we know, many of us, myself included, just two days ago, um, had to bury a cousin because of COVID. So these are very real life things that are happening and we need to be able to come to the table with our children and have some really hard, uncomfortable, but, but absolutely essential conversations with them so that they can grow up and have, you know, a, a sense of healthy dialogue around these topics. Um, I thought that it would be good to kind of ground ourselves in a couple of terms that we're going to be using um, and that you are certainly going to be using with your kids moving forward. Uh, one is grief. We define grief as a form of emotional energy that human beings experience following the death of something or someone. Um, another one, hardship. It is a condition that is difficult to endure. Um, we're talking about suffering here, a deprivation as well as oppression. Um, so a very broad spectrum when we talk about hardship that will also be um, where we will tie in the financial hardship piece as well as um, dealing with taxes. Um, and then suffering. 
Um, that is defined as the experience of pain or acute distress. I mean, it can be either, either physical or psychological in response to physical trauma or a significant event like COVID, like we just talked about. Um, and it's one that's particularly uh, threatening or that involves loss. Um, and as we've already talked about, we're gonna be really diving into how do we sort of wrap our mind around the death of a loved one and life after we've lost someone we love. Let's really get into the weeds, the trenches of this thing based on what age um, your child may be at this time. So let's start off in those infancy years. This is where it always is sort of eye-opening to even think about, well, how, why would I need to even think about discussing hardships and suffering with my child? And what I'm inviting you to do is think about your own emotions and how your own emotions influence or affect your child because you are their primary role model, right? So we already know babies don't really have the cognitive ability or capability rather to understand and abstract a concept like death. That is very much true. Um, they are more acutely aware of loss and separation. And we know that um, if you just think about when you drop your child off at daycare for the first time, some kids, uh, you know, embrace that moment and they're ready to get in there and play and some have a really hard time with that. And so we can kind of think of the loss of a loved one in that same vein when we think about our small children. Um, they react to the emotions and behaviors of you, the adult, right? So how you process, and as we've talked about with other tough talks, your own mental health, how you deal with, you know, feelings that are uncomfortable, absolutely have an influence on our child. All right. Uh, three to five years old. So when we kind of go beyond, now we're into sort of the toddler, um, well into um, starting, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, right? So normal processing of things like hardship, suffering, the loss of loved one, um, you know, we're really talking about the fact that the child is probably going to repeatedly ask you questions because they may not necessarily fully un understand the concept of losing someone or someone not coming around or, you know, being in the home, that's going to be really hard for them. And so they might, you might find yourself answering questions over and over again with them. Um, at the root of that is them being frightened. Um, and then just sort of like the prolonged process of grief, the environment around them still having an effect on them, right? Um, and they may be so uh, naive to demand a replacement, right? If someone uh, died or, you know, if they uh, lose their favorite pet, for example, um, they're going to certainly want that thing to be replaced. And so then begins the conversation of, well, what does that look like uh, to replace someone that we know physically can't be replaced, right? Not identically as they were. Um, then as we think about our older kids, you know, nine to 11 years old, uh, normal processing for them is that, you know, needs to balance avoidance of sadness uh, with planned rituals for reminiscing, right? So as you think about what they need, what they're looking for, there needs to be some, some balance, right? That we, we sit with and we be with our emotions even the ones that are uncomfortable are sad, but we also want to foster an environment where, you know, how do we begin to pick up the pieces? What does life look like now without this loved one or in the midst of this particular hardship? Um, you may see some increased expressions of anger. Um, that's going to be very normal, uh, particularly when we think about a parent 
um, someone within their school community, the village, as Keisha shared early, that is going to be something that might bring up some anger for them. Um, not uncommonly feeling a sense of uh, uh, the parent's presence, right? You know, they, they, they long for that and they're still going to want that. And so there might be different reactions um, depending on, on how the child processes those emotions. All right, now that we've sort of talked about infancy on into those sort of preteens or those um, tween years, I thought that we should also think about resilience, right? The process of, uh, of just growing in the midst of grief or hardship. Do we recover from grief is a question that comes up when um, I'm delivering life's questions to teenagers. And um, it often sparks quite a lot of conversation of teenagers saying yes or no and responses around that. Um, and what we also talk about within grief is grief not, is not just about loss or, or death of a family or um, friend, but it's about loss of other types of loss of relationships, friendships, moving house, loss of jobs, lifestyles. So recognising that grief is part of a loss process and the ex experiences around that. And the grieving, that emotional response to that is very real. There is a model by Lois Tonkin, who's a researcher and counsellor in New Zealand. Um, she was working with clients um, dealing with loss and she was finding a lot of models weren't actually working or fitting with what her clients were experiencing. Um, and so she happened across a lady in a conference um, and she talked about her loss that she experienced. And the model that came from that was growing around grief. What happened with this lady um, who lost her child was, she, um, what she found in her loss was that um, the loss that she was experiencing, the grief that she was experiencing, this was her life. And the grief was very much every part of her life. It was all consuming, very powerful, very strong. And what this lady imagined was over time was that her life would continue, but the grief would get smaller and that she would experience it um, on a smaller scale, but her life would stay the same as it was, but just the experience gets smaller. What she actually found was that grief stayed the same. It was very strong, very powerful and very all consuming. But what she found over a period of time was that life grew around it. She experienced other things. But what she could find was in any given time, she could go back into that experience and that grief feeling all consuming, very powerful emotions and feelings at any given time. And I explain this to students um, when we're in schools of an experience of my daughter, who at 11 years old, we lost our dog, Biscuit. Um, and her grief was very much every bit of her life. She was crying all the time, um, reminiscing, photographs out, and it was all very consuming. Songs were very upsetting for her. Seeing the dog bed, dog run, any mention of a dog was very upsetting. And I guess she imagined that her grief would get smaller. And I guess we did to a certain extent and she would be fine. But actually what she found was she could go back into this grief at any given time. Life did grow and has grown around losing our dog, Biscuit. We have two new dogs within our house and we have a lovely time with those dogs. But if my daughter sees a golden Labrador and it reminds her, she will go back into that grief, very powerful and very strong as it was the day and the weeks after losing our dog, Biscuit. 
And this story really hits home with students. It makes them realise that actually we don't get over. We learn to live with, yes, life grows around, but we can still go back into that. And we need to be able to support people whenever, whatever, however they're experiencing their grief. just pause there for a moment because I think certainly myself growing up we've all heard the saying you know time heals all right that with time you know you'll you you won't feel as heavy and there's some truth to that I believe and even in my own experience but I think we have to sort of move away from this notion as we saw in the video that you know things are just going to get better and you're you're never going to uh think about or recall that that pain in the same way, right? And I think that what happens is as, as life goes on, um, as she was sharing, you know, you build other relationships, um, you know, you might adopt a new pet, things like that, where you can continue to thrive and live your life, but you're gonna always still probably carry those memories and those thoughts of that loved one or that pet that you loved so much, and that is okay. That is the main takeaway with it, that we don't feel like we always have to avoid the, the feeling of grief, that it's okay to have moments of grief. And yes, you continue to be resilient and continue to move through life and build new relationships and things like that. So I think that that is something important as we think about our language and our framing around hardship and grief. Uh, now what I want to do is just talk for a few moments about, you know, fostering a lifestyle of healthy conversations around grief, hardships, and suffering. So what does that look like? Um, I always try to make sure we have some very tangible uh, steps that we walk away from our tough talks with. So one of the things I want you to be encouraged to do is to just use very simple language, simple words. Um, you know, one of the things that the research shows is that, you know, we, we like to use words like such and such past, um, um, they're no longer with us, which can be fine, you know, depending on the conversation and who you're talking with, but it's also okay to use words like death and that the person died. So, you know, one of the language or, or sentence frames you can use is, I have some sad news to tell you, this person died today. Um, you know, listen and be vulnerable, right? You wanna make sure that you are creating the emotional safety that your child needs to feel whatever they need to feel. Uh, but at the same time, allow yourself some vulnerability with them. Remember, we are our children's comprehensive role model. So them seeing how you deal with your own mental health uh, challenges, as well as losing someone that you love will also guide them in how they can begin to process their own emotions. Um, tell your child what to expect, you know, um, any details that you know at the time, right? If there's going to be a funeral coming up, for example, um, a memorial service, um, you know, whatever details you, you can share with them at that time, that is okay. Um, give them a role to play, you know, depending on what age they are. Um, it could be writing a poem that's going to be in the, in the order of service program. Um, maybe they can, you know, greet people as they're coming to the house um, when someone has died or passed away, but give them a role to play so that they can still feel connected to this moment. Um, and then provide comfort, right? You want to make sure that you offer a, 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 an ear to listen, um, that again, if you create space for them, 
um, that if they do have moments of anger, that that isn't always a time of judgment of them, but just allowing them to feel how they need to feel will be a, a sense of comfort for them. All right, you knew it was coming. You know, some of the do's and don'ts um, when we think about hardships and grief and suffering. So um, as you probably already know, don't dismiss their feelings, right? You know, it's so uh, natural for us as parents and guardians to say things like, well, don't be sad. Um, and again, we, we need to unlearn that uh, because that is causing us to not really be with our emotions with patience, right? We wanna learn that as early as we can because we know as adults, there's gonna be a wave of emotions that are gonna happen throughout the lifespan. So we wanna get comfortable with sitting with those. Uh, as I said just a moment ago, don't feel like you need to hide your emotions. You know, if you are having a really bad moment um, and perhaps you don't think that that is going to help the overall emotional environment, then by all means, take, take the time you need to go have a seat outside, you know, go in the bathroom, do what you need, but don't feel like you need to hide those tears or even your anger at times if you're upset about what, what might be happening. Uh, don't be afraid to share memories. I think there's also this sort of natural uh, notion that we have that if we talk about the person too, too much, um, that that is somehow just sort of settling us in the sadness. But um, I think with most of us, we can agree that we've had so many amazing, beautiful moments throughout our lifetime with those that we love. So we should be celebrating those and really clinging to those moments um, of what we, the times that we had with them. Uh, don't think that death puts a ban on laughter. You know, I think that in moments of grieving, you're certainly going to have moments of silence. Uh, you're going to have moments where no one really knows what to say. But if there is a funny story, um, if there is a joke that that particular loved one used to tell, still invite those moments into the conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't put a limit on your child's bereavement. You know, obviously, you know, as a psychologist, we think about patterns of behavior and you do want to monitor, uh, you know, uh, when things start to happen or become habitual over, say, a month's time. But it is perfectly normal for, say, three to six months after losing someone or having a, a, a loss of someone that you really cared about to still have certain feelings come up. Um, you know, I lost a grandmother a decade ago and I still have my moments to this day. So we can't expect our child's experience to be any different than our own. Uh, some of the do's, right? Be honest, right? Again, going back to that original statement of, you know, if someone died, we don't want to keep that from our children. Um, particularly if it's someone that is a part of their immediate circle in their village that they were used to seeing a lot. And now that person is gone, we need to be honest about that, right? And again, you know, letting them know what to expect. Um, be prepared for a variety of responses. The research shows that not, you know, every child is going to react the same way. Um, we see that in adulthood. Some people take grief and suffering very hard. Um, they shut down. They may, may, be, may be, uh, even enter into a season of depression. Um, and all of that is perfectly normal, right? So just be prepared that your child may respond. You know, one child may respond completely differently than another child. 
share information in doses. Uh, you don't need to feel like you need to lay everything out on the table. And this ties into the financial hardship uh, place too, right? Give them doses of information, right? We, we in no way when we talk about very serious things like grief and suffering and financial hardships want to um, place a, a burden on our child, right? Particularly to the point where they feel like they need to do something um, to intervene in this situation, but it is totally okay to give them small doses of what is happening. How is this thing unfolding for us? How is it gonna impact our family in the long run? You can give them that information in small doses. It's okay to cry together, you know? Um, I think as humans, oftentimes just seeing someone else cry will bring up emotions for us, even if we felt like we were in a good place. And that is okay as well. It is perfectly okay to cry together. All right, this brings us now to the age of social media, right? Um, where grieving isn't so much an individual experience, oftentimes it's a collective experience. So one of the things we know is that young people are expressing their grief online now. Um, from memorials and Minecraft to expressions of collective grief on social media. And we saw this a lot during 2020. So lots of examples to pull from and perhaps you're starting to think about uh, moments that you could revisit um, or build upon where you've had conversations in the past. Um, we do know that social media offers many advantages for grieving adolescents. Um, you know, there's little friction there. Um, a young person can announce their grief on, say, a Facebook status or something like that and receive instant support. Um, when we think about things that were happening during 2020, a lot of times there is a collective sense uh, of grieving and people offering one another support through that and how they might be grieving through it. Um, it's a space that they're, they're very familiar with, especially if we think about our middle school and high school students. Um, online communities allow them to feel empowered in their grief. And finally, social media provides a platform for creative expressions of grief. And we, we see that a lot in things like TikTok in particular. Um, expressions of grief online also can present limitations. So a single social media post can create an emotional storm. We saw that a lot last year. Um, you know, young people are constantly exposed to the harsh realities of the world through social media. So there's still some shielding that we might want to do depending on, you know, what is happening and how they might be handling it. Um, and then it is likely they are significantly affected by the sort of emotional contagion that is social media. So you still wanna be doing those check-ins um, as they might be using social media during times of grief. All right, now I know we have spent a lot of time tonight really talking about uh, you know, the death of loved ones and, and just suffering in, in terms of the loss of losing someone that you care about, including our beloved pets. Uh, but I also wanted to just take a moment and talk a little bit about financial hardship, right? Um, this falls very much into this category because we have to reckon with sometimes the loss of a lot lifestyle. Um, sometimes it means downsizing. Um, I spoke very candidly about my own experience growing up as a only child to a single mother where we lost cars. Um, 
you know, there were times where you come home and maybe something you cut off. Um, so we have to sort of think about too, well, what does that look like to have those conversations with our kids? So I wanted to also tie this into just the reading opportunities that we have when we don't necessarily know what to say or how to um, sort of begin a conversation, we can pull from some of the, the books and things that are that are circulating out there. So we know that by reading stories that feature protagonists from low-income homes um, to kids in similar situations that we can remind them that they're not alone. And that is a big piece when we think about our mental health as adults and as children is just knowing that I'm not the only one that has dealt with this or that may be dealing with this. And so books are a great means for that to introduce the fact that we all deal with conflict. Uh, we perhaps may deal with anxiety um, and just be able to answer questions that they might have about their own household situation. Um, so a couple of books that you can find on Amazon um, or perhaps at your local bookstore. Uh, one is called Last Stop on Market Street. And that is a story uh, about a child and their grandmother and just you know, some of the natural questions that would come up as you're out and about in the real world. And uh, yard sale is another one where the focus is gonna be just, you know, on material things, right? And how family and, and the memories you've built um, are so much more important than material things. Uh, same with those shoes. You know, uh, we've all been in a situation, even if we pull from our own childhood of wanting a really expensive pair of shoes or perhaps even being teased about the shoes you have at school. And that book does a really good job of, again, talking about the importance of a family um, versus and the needs of your family versus going out buying a lot of material things. So I invite you to really think about you know, what, what supporting materials do you have? What real life examples do you have? Perhaps from your own childhood, when you think about how to introduce your kids to financial topics. Um, taxes, as we said, we were also gonna discuss tonight. That's another language framing that we need to sort of unlearn. I know me in, in particular, uh, I always thought taxes were just a bad thing. You know, if you had a dollar when you were going in the store, uh, you know, you were going to need another nickel. And if you didn't have that nickel, you weren't going to be able to buy it. And so your family, your, your mom or your dad is talking about, you know, how things have taxes attached to them, right? So that's one invitation into the conversation is when you're in the store and your child wants to buy something, talking about, you know, that things require taxes. But also let's talk about why taxes are needed. Um, and you can have those conversations with your kids, you know, talk about how taxes uh, provide the, the, the building, the structure that they're in for their education, you know, the school bus to back and forth to school. So I think the more that you can make the conversation relevant, uh, the more powerful um, the, the, the conversation will be. And then you can still make it an ongoing conversation. It doesn't have to be a one hit wonder, right? So again, just giving you some things to think about. Some, some things to pull from. And then also where we want to sort of go with this conversation, especially if you perhaps come from a more privileged background, right? Where you don't come from a low socioeconomic back, background and you don't really know financial hardship, that's okay. That doesn't mean that you can't introduce that topic 
to your child because what we want them to be building in terms of their own um, identity and how they coexist in this world that we live in is through empathy and respect for those struggling through something uh, you know that might not necessarily be familiar to them. All right, and as always, I always like to give a challenge, throw a challenge out there. What real life example might you pull from to begin a conversation with your child about hardship, grief, suffering, or even taxes? Some of the, the examples that I just gave you, what could you walk away from this conversation with and begin a conversation with your child? So let's just dig right into some questions. Um, okay. I definitely have some myself. Um, my first question um, stems from one that I hear a lot of, you know, between children and children and other parents. And this question, I think, in general, is one that, it, that people often want to know the answer to. And this is a question about fairness. Can we talk about fairness? Um, why does it seem like, you know, and how do we ask, answer this question when children ask it of us in a way that is helpful and has a whole child approach? And this question of why is this happening to someone and not me? Why is this fair? Why does someone get to keep their parent and I don't get to keep my parent? Why does someone get to keep their friend and I don't get to keep my friend? How, how can we mindfully answer that question to children? Yeah, and I think there's a couple of different ways to answer this. I think that if you come from a faith background, or a spiritual background, there's a conversation around that, right? You can be completely comfortable talking about God, um, just talking about, um, you know, the Lion King, if you will, pull from the example of just the, the, the cycle of life, you know, that, that things die and things are born again and new life comes about. Um, so I think everybody kind of has to pull from the source that makes sense for you. Um, I always go back to uh, parents and guardians using their own examples of how they've dealt with grief and dealing with the loss of loved ones. And again, that kind of varies depending on who you are and, and sort of your trajectory of life, if you will. Uh, but I do think that you have to be honest. I keep going back to that list of do's. Um, we think that we're often shielding our, our kids, right? Or we want to shield them and protect them from hurt and harm. But I personally, as someone who works with a lot of adults in mental health, is I think we, we need to lay a great foundation around mental health. And a big piece of this, this mental health puzzle is how do we deal and process with grief and losing those that we love and losing things that we love perhaps a lifestyle that we grew to love. Mm -hmm. So I think if you can tap into just being honest about that, that this is painful, you know, that, but that we all come to this earth and that one day we have to leave, that we have to leave and that we leave in a number of different ways. Some people leave literally just dripping off in their sleep. Some people leave because sickness endures and there's no cure for some of the things that the body gets. But each kind of conversation takes you off into its own little journey and then pull from your resources and pull from okay. your village to help you answer those questions. That is very helpful. And you raise a very important point that everything that comes to this earth must leave. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't, nothing is permanent. So I guess that is also, you know, a discussion with, with children is talking about the fact that this is a temporary assignment as we're all here. Anything on this planet is a temporary assignment. 
in a life form, right. in a life form, right? But, but we have memories and things that can live on. And yeah, I think that is, that is beautifully helpful for sure. Um, in these instances, when grief hits home and we're dealing with loss of a family member or someone close, what do you do when you're in that position as a parent and you don't have it to help? Like, you know, what, what do you do? How, how can you handle that as a parent? Yeah, that's so good. Again, I go back to our village, right? There are, you are, I think that's probably one of the most universal areas of life is that everybody has had to lose someone that they love, right? Even if it's just a pet, you know, we all have that universal experience. But to your point, there's absolutely going to be times where, you know, uh, I'll use myself, for example. You know, I just lost my grandmother uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and I've seen how my dad has leaned on me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm grateful with, you know, my understanding of human behavior and mental health to be able to hold space for him. But in the midst of that, I've had my moments because mm -hmm. I lost my grandmother. Um, and so in those moments, I've gone and reached out to other friends who have lost their grandmothers. So I think to me, that is the beautiful thing about human relationships is being able to tap into your community. And when you're weak, somebody else is strong. When you don't have the words, somebody else has been through it and they have the words for you. So you really have to surround yourself with people who can hold space for you in those times. That is, that is very true. That is very true. And, and can we dig into that support piece? How important is it for our children, the children under our care to see us needing help, to have examples of that? Absolutely. I think, you know, going back to that list of do's again is in order to really provide comfort, you have to know the experience of comfort, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that whether that's seeing you shed some tears on the phone with a dear friend, um, at that scene, you know, you go to the graveside and, and have a conversation with your grandmother or your grandfather who was so dear to you, invite your children into those spaces in those moments. That is not scarring. That is only helping them to fully develop the full span of emotions that we're going to have as, an, as adults. So if, if you don't take anything else away from this talk, talk, know to normalize allowing your kids to see you getting comfort as well as just dealing with the array of emotions that are going to come up during hard times because it's going to hit you. You're not going to always know. You can't always sort of, you know, muffle it. It's going to come out and it's okay for your kids to see that. Now, I will say, because I want to be very um, careful with, you know, uh, people handle emotions differently. You know, if right. you find that you are really entering into a realm of this becoming um, really mentally challenging for you mm -hmm. to deal with that, then that is something where you would probably want to go and definitely seek help from a counselor, a therapist, and they will help you in how to share and process your emotions in a healthy way with your child. So if, if you find yourself sort of entering past, oh, wow, like I, I this is kind of beyond the scope of anything I've ever dealt with and I don't know how to deal with it, then you might want to sort of safeguard your child from seeing an all day, every day okay. sort of spiral out of control. All right. That's, yeah. That is very helpful for sure. That marker, that when to know when to ask for additional help. Exactly. 
Yep. I know that when I was a little girl, um, death was introduced to me in a way that I found very jarring. Um, one of my uncles died all of a sudden and sudden loss, I think it's just riveting in a different way. And, um, and I asked a family member, what happened? Like, why did that happen? He was here one day and he wasn't here the next day. And the answer was, we don't know the hour or the minute. It can just happen to any of us. And that was so scary to me, you know, it was so scary and it caused a lot of anxiety around like, you know, like, wait a minute (laughs) that, you know, there was a definitely needed to be a reset button at that point, you know? Um, so, uh, with things like that, when there's triggers, you know, when children, you know, they've gone through the grief process, but they can't quite get out of the anxiety. You mentioned depression in your in your slideshow and how you know there's could be a time when you need to ask for additional help. How how do you know? Are there markers that you know like um, that you're like you're like you know what we need some extra processing here. We need you know to redirect this. Yeah, and I think you know you bring up a really good point. I keep going back to our, our language framing around death and hardship, and I think we as as a, as a society have sort of just sort of passed down things that perhaps we thought were comforting, which right. to your point actually increases anxiety. So mm-hmm. I think we, we have to kind of pause and ask ourselves, okay, I know I was told this or taught this, yeah. but did it really comfort me? And if it didn't, it's probably not going to provide comfort to your child either. So I think we have to be mindful. There's a, an increase a self-awareness that we have to have around the language that we use with our kids. Um, But in terms of markers, um, you know, I go back to just sort of the standard rule of, you know, anything past like 30 days, then you might want to to have a conversation, whether it be with a school counselor or a licensed professional therapist. But at the same time, because again, there's caveats to this, like I said, grieving comes in waves. You know, if your child didn't really have this uh, visible response to, say, losing their father right after it happened, but then six months later, you see them acting out at school, their grades start to slip, that is normal. There sometimes is a delay in which uh, kids might experience grief. So you just want to monitor, you want to just be aware Um, You don't want to harass them to the point where you like want to see them grieve. You want to give them space for that. But then if you see it becoming a thing where it's affecting their, their, their everyday mood, um, how they show up in school, um, you know, how they're showing up with other friends and their peer groups, that's when you want to kind of step in and intervene and perhaps lead them to talk to a professional. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and speaking to that point, uh, when you're when you're dealing with long long term uh, effects of grief and how it can rear itself in different ways, um, is there ever um, too much overindulgence that could happen when you're trying to make up for a loss that a child may be experiencing? Like, how can you balance that? You know, like you know, every day is Disney. Just try to make them happy, but you know, like, what do you do, and you know, in that respect? I think the the biggest thing you can do in terms of of losing someone you love and, and grief is to still do the things that you were doing before that happened. Okay. You know, if if you had a routine of every Friday night was pizza night, the family goes out for pizza on Friday nights. Still do that. 
you know, um, if there were certain things that you would do with that loved one, yeah, you might want to pause for, you know, at least to, to the point to where you, the, the service has been had and you've kind of gotten a lot of the things off your plate that you needed to do to have that moment. But it's sure. totally okay to revisit and create new memories in that space and right. be in that space and talk about that loved one. You know, you know, such and such love the cake here, or such and such you would love to come and go bowling here. Go into that space and recreate new memories. That's something that we as a family are having to think about now. You know, my grandmother was such the bedrock, if you will, of the holidays. You know, you knew Christmas, you were going to be at her house and have all the fixings and do all that things. Um, and I've shared with them, you know, we can still do that now at my dad's house, or maybe we start doing some destination holidays, right? Yeah. So it's, it's still about having a good time. Are you going to have moments during the holidays where maybe you cry and you miss them? Absolutely. Right. That's okay. But you're creating a balance between the two. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to um, talk about social media a little bit. Yeah well um and i you know this is something i'm experiencing as an adult and and that is the overexposure to grief and hardship meaning that like i feel like i know more about the loss of everyone's loved ones than i would have ever known in a regular type of framework without absence of instagram or facebook and things like that and while i'd love to be there for everyone there can feel, you know, sometimes it feels like a grief overload. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you, your heart aches for everyone, but should it? Should you be in a position of always knowing and being in this position and the same for our, the children that we care for? So is there an overexposure of grief and hardship to children that's based on social media? It absolutely can be. You know, I've, I've said sort of as an ongoing theme in many of these tough talks about carefully curating your social media and who you follow. And sometimes that means perhaps deleting the app, hiding the app on another screen on your phone that you don't go to during those times. So there's a number of different ways to sort of safeguard against the overexposure. Uh, but I will say too, we have to going back to the empathy side of, you know, a universal feeling need is that we all wanna feel seen and we all, we all want to feel heard. Um, and that is not devoid of when we're going through seasons of grief, right? right? So you, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever not see people looking for sympathy or if people looking for someone to hold space for them or someone that just gets it and understands because they've lost someone they love what I'm dealing with. I think it's just a fundamental need that we have as humans. But the only person that you can control is yourself. So that, that brings me back to my original point that if you're feeling like, man, every time I go on social media, I'm leaving sad because I saw where someone died or someone lost their job, then you kind of want to monitor how much time you might be spending. Um, and it may just require a, a detox uh, of social media for a season if that is how you're feeling. Yeah, that's helpful. And I think that it is important for us to have pauses with social media. There is a lot there that we can, it's consuming. Right. It so, is. And, yeah. some, and some people do have a, a more, um, you know, hypersensitivity to 
a hardship and grief. So, you know, we're all processing differently, but some people very well will use social media, you know, as a, as a way to, to, fi to find sympathy and seek sympathy to cope. And yeah. they kind of have their own journey that they need to go down as to why they need to constantly be seeking that type of um, affirmation from other people. But like I said, you can control what you see right. uh, by who you follow and how often you're going on to social media. Yes, for sure. Um, and then we can move on. We can move on from death for a little while and grief. And I know it's like my heart is like, uh, it's because I'm very empathetic, and so it's it's very real, you know, um, and raw. Um, but for hardship in general, like we were talking about earlier, financial hardships, um, suffering that families are going through. We're 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 gearing up for the holiday season again. We see a lot of examples of this as we band together as a community to help each other through the holiday season. How how do we um, truly discuss hardship with children in like in a time you know the, the timeline the permanence like for children I know it feels like forever right when they're in difficult times yeah. how do how do we do this like how can we do this responsibly just gauge the timeline yeah and like I, like I keep saying balance like I used personal examples earlier you know growing up and uh, coming from a low socioeconomic background being raised by a single parent you know, there were a lot of things happening around me growing up that I had no clue about till I got older. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I think there is something to be said about like not burdening your child to the point of they feel like their life is falling apart, right? When they're in the third grade and they just need to be able to go to school, do their work. You know, there is something to that. But I think at the same time, if, if you are a parent or guardian watching this, and perhaps you're in the midst of financial hardship where you're about to lose your home um, or, you know, lose a car, something that's going to really disrupt the life of your child, then you want to sort of preface, this is what's happening. You don't have to give them the whole, you know, gamut of, of what's happening in your finances, but you might need to say, you know what, we're going to have to go and stay with grandma and granddad for a little bit. Um, you know, mom is just having a really hard time with work right now it has completely changed how much income we have coming in and i just can't afford for us to stay in this house anymore that you've been honest with them but yeah. you haven't told them that it may be two years before you can get back in the house again right yeah. you know, having yeah. gone into the the trenches uh, or details of of your financial hardship but if you at least are letting them prepare for okay i won't have my own bedroom anymore you know, I won't have that backyard that I normally come home from school and go out and play in every day because it is a disruption in lifestyle that they need to be aware of. For sure. Yeah. And and earlier I asked the question about fairness and like, why is this happening to, to us? Why is this happening to me or a friend? Um, how, how can you balance that, that question with um, the shame that may surface for them and being a child who has to deal with a difficult situation? Because, you know, is it okay for them to tell their friends? How do you, like when they ask those questions, should my friends know this? Do I have to live in secrecy about what's really happening when I go home from school each day? How do you balance that? I think you use your own stuff as an example. You know, for example, you know, when we're going through something like a financial hardship, we don't go to work and announce it to everybody on our floor that we're dealing. But maybe we do have one good confidant 
at, at work that you do share that with. And I think we can sort of instill that same sort of best practices around protecting yourself um, and protecting your mental health by letting certain people into those spaces, but it doesn't need to be something that becomes widespread, right? And then also letting that letting your child know that there are re repercussions to that, that what we're going through right now is gonna reveal who our true friends are. You know, some people are gonna be able to keep our secret, if you will, or, or keep that, this is what we're going through. And not everybody will, so just be prepared that as you're sharing what we might go through, be mindful that not everyone is going to be empathetic and have our best interests at heart. So it's it's really what you're asking is really multi layered. It right. isn't of like a black and white like yeah, tell people it's fine, it's it's okay if everybody knows for sure. No, what what are the steps that you take in terms of just your discernment? Uh, mm -hmm. Who's proven their trust to you? Who's shown up for you as a friend? Those are the people that you would let in on something like this for sure. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Corey, is it, do you think that for a parent that it should be very important if your child is in a traditional school setting to engage the, the school to let them know oh, what yeah. is happening at this time? Absolutely. Okay. I think that is totally okay because what can happen if your child ends up in a situation where say they are being teased or something, mm -hmm. then some other adults know and can intervene in those situations. So yeah, you absolutely want to let some, some, now again, not everybody Right. Yeah, but, you know, maybe an administrator, some that one teacher that you really do have that good rapport with, it's totally okay to let them know that. Okay, for sure. And then there's that discernment piece to decide who it is that's in your corner. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and then and going back to your question, I wanted to make sure I address the question about just fairness. We've talked about this on a previous Tough Talk, but it's never too early to start talking about just some of the systemic things that happen. Mind you, not every hardship boils down to race, um, but some of it does, you know? So depending on what um, ethnic background you're from, you can talk about just, or even just gender, you know, about equal pay and, and fair housing and invite those conversations into, you know, the dialogue in small doses. And I keep going back to small doses because it's not about laying everything on the table at once. But if this is something that your family is, is having to deal with right now, and it's something, you know, systemic and universal that maybe we deal with as a gender or we deal with as a race, yeah, we're setting the foundation, right, for how they're going to now have to move and exist in this world where this thing is very real. For sure. You know, that brings up for me is the idea of fault and blame. A lot of times when we're dealing with something that's difficult, we want to point a finger. We want to make someone else responsible. Um, how do we deal with that? The, ac the accusations, the, you know, and the needing of that, the needing of like, it's all your fault or you're to blame for this. Um, how, how do we balance that with personal accountability and self-awareness as we move through these difficulties? Yeah, I think it's, it's a matter of asking yourself the, the right questions, right? Okay. You know, um, we'll use, we'll, we'll continue to use the financial hardship piece. Let's say you lose a job. Yeah. Did you lose a job because we went through a pandemic and, you know, my job laid me and, and several other people off? Okay, that's beyond your control, right? Did you lose your job because you weren't showing up on time? 
um, because of misconduct at work. You know, again, you know, we, we, we've got to embrace sort of talking to our kids, yes, at their developmental level, but right. also being honest because you're, you're setting them up for how life will be for them if they don't start thinking through these things now, even at their young age, right? So responsibility, you know, getting to bed at a decent time that will allow you to get up and get to school on time and thus get to work on time. So I think connecting the dots between your own experience as an adult and what they're experiencing as kids, that's going to always bring it home. Right. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, and to that point that you just made is, you know, like if you, if you are irresponsible, if you're going through a season as a caregiver, as an adult parent, and you're, you're not doing well with keeping up with some of those adult responsibilities and it's affecting your family. How do you own that with your, with your children? And then, you know, create some type of positive outcome out of that, that is, that is also healthy for them as they, as they process that. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things you have to do is you've got to have a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a vision. And I think particularly when you have children, yeah. you've got to have a vision that includes them and that protects them. Right? right. So if you drop the ball, let's say you did be honest about that. You know, dad dropped the ball. You know, I, I made some mistakes. It's going to alter our lifestyles a little bit. This is the way it's going to be altered. We're going to have to move into a smaller house. We're going to have to go stay with your, your uncle for a little bit give them the truth of the matter, but say, you know what, I have a plan and that my goal is that in a year from now, two years from now, we're going to be back in a house just like this, if not better, you know, make it, you know, make it real for them as it aligns to your vision of doing what you're supposed to do. Yes. Let me tell you something. That is a very rare conversation. I'm sure. Absolutely. It happens in families. It's so important to have that level of transparency and integrity. Um, I know that that is something that's very difficult for caregivers to have that conversation, but I I can see that that would be revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I get why it can be embarrassing. I can get how it would be a hard conversation to have. But what we're trying to do is move away from not talking about things because it's uncomfortable are not right. talking about things because we don't want to be challenged in that area because then we're setting the tone for how our kids will show up. For sure. We're setting the tone for dysfunction by ignoring the tough talks. This is why we do this. This is why, this is why we do this. This, <laughs> this is why we're the 10th talk in. Exactly. Yeah. Right. We are. We are at our 10th talk in a tough talk Tuesday. Tonight has definitely been somber, you know, and I think we could go on and on about this because at the end of the day, we want healthy children and healthy families. We do this because we love you. We know it takes a village and you found one. We take this work extremely seriously. We want to make sure that we're raising mindful, compassionate, empathetic children who understand the planet and all its people. And I'm so grateful to have Dr. Corey on board to help us with this. This is awesome. My name is Kisha Edwards-Gansey. This has been another beautiful Tough Talk Tuesday. We look forward to joining you next time. Good evening, Dr. Corey. Bye-bye, everyone. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, 
the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out, one day at a time, together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore. Thank you.